So, God, we just, uh, this morning, we're going to open up and dig into your word, Lord. We certainly want you to speak through us. And uh, there might be distractions of things we might have to do today, or things i got to get done, or flashbacks from things this week, Lord. Um, who knows what might be going on, God. But we just pray, hopefully that this time, that we could just give it to you, Lord. And that we could just settle down and just kind of just uh, be quiet, Lord, and just hear maybe what you might be uh, having to say to us. And Lord, whatever happens this morning, Lord, we pray that we can go out and apply it later on, Father. Because we certainly don't want to just be here and uh, gain more knowledge and not do anything with it. So God, we just... uh, ask you to work in this time and speak through me, Lord. Help me not to taint the message. We pray that you just bless the kids downstairs in Sunday school and that you bless their time and bless Julie down there and give her the strength she needs and the creativity. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 12, um, verse 22. And we're we're working our way through the book of Matthew. And uh, last week, we talked about how Jesus, part of his goal, his his mission for coming here was to die for sins. That that was the goal. That was the mission. was to come here, die for sins. It was to come here, really transform the message. Uh, He delivered it in ways that were amazing, in ways that were never seen, by raising people from the dead, by uh, healing the lame, the blind, the mute, and uh, really insulting a lot of times the religious leaders of the day, because they were so filled with themselves and so hypocritical, they wanted to make people feel bad. And so we learned last week that since his mission was to come here and die for sins, last week he had an opportunity to die. And so we talked about last week how it wasn't actually his time yet to die. And so we looked at how did he know when it was time to actually go through and die and pay that price. Somehow he had the wisdom, the know-abouts, the awareness that, hey, this is not my time. It might look like it, but it's not. And we talked about last week about how Jesus was able to have tunnel vision and be locked into what God has for him. By his surrounding and by his just enmeshing himself in the Word. And we talked about the Word having three parts last week. Like this physical thing, which we called like the graphic. We did a little bit of language study, not too much, just a little bit. So the actual physical Bible that you hold, the words that sometimes people treat like a lucky rabbit's foot. This is the graphic. And then we talked about the logos, the message that's actually in here. What's actually being said? What's Matthew talking about? What we're going to read? What's Ezekiel talking about? What's Jeremiah talking about? The logos, the word. And then the rhema, like when we sit and we're quiet before God and we settle down, and that still small voice says something. Something comes through and you're like, what? Where is that? That's not me. I don't know. I didn't like it. Oh, I did like it. I don't know. But that's it. And so Jesus was an expert. And having all three of those work together. We talked about that last week. So that's how he knew it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. It looked like it. Probably may have been pretty tempting. If we put ourselves there, maybe we would have thought, hey, this is the time. They're trying to kill me. I guess now it's time to pay the price. But it wasn't. And since it wasn't, he was still faithful in who he was. 
And then we kind of pick up mid-story here in verse 22. So let's see what's happening here in verse 22. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon them. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob the house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And then he kind of lays into them. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So the title of the message is Divided Kingdoms. Kind of a theme that runs through this here, Divided Kingdoms. And this morning we're going to take a look at three observations. Number one, we're going to look at Jesus' work. What is going on? What kind of work is going on here? Number two, we're going to look at Jesus' viewpoint, or his perspective, how he sees things. We might be very interested in that, how Jesus is seeing things. And then number three, we're going to look at our choice. So three things we're trying to do today. Jesus' work, Jesus' perspective or viewpoint, and then our choice, how we might fit into this. So we pick up in verse 22. Jesus, at this point, had just left where he was because he found out they were trying to kill him. And he realized, hey, this is not my time. I have to go somewhere else. And so he stays faithful in what he knows and what God has given him. And of course, that's a great illustration for us when it maybe is not time to make a move or we're unsure or uncertain. Be faithful in what God has given us. Who's around me? Who can I pray for? Where can I pour into? What gifts can I have? Stay busy for the king. It will reveal the rest of the way. Right? So that's what he's doing. In verse 22 it says, Then they brought him. The people that were there, because Jesus was there healing people. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. So they're there. They bring him this demon-possessed man. And this demon possession that was there made him blind and mute. And as to there, um, Satan has taken over someone's body. And we've talked about this before. I've been working through the scriptures. I absolutely believe that Satan does this. He comes in and just takes over, takes control, takes dominion over people's bodies. 
And we might not see it a lot here. It still does. But we don't see it on a scale, maybe, as a scale like somewhere overseas. And if you ever talk to any missionaries or read any books, you find out that it's just incredible what's happening over there. And what kind of control and hold Satan might have in certain places. Particularly places where the gospel has not really been. The gospel, the word, has been in America for a little bit of time now. It's maybe not in the greatest place. It's maybe not held where it used to be. But nonetheless, it's here. And when it's never been anywhere, they've never heard about Jesus or God or the Bible, we find that then there's these people that just can't control themselves. They're prone to like being violent with themselves. They can't control it. Foaming at the mouths and having freakish strength. Strange things. Satan does it. And in this case, he has this man, two things, blind and mute. And we have a picture up here of sometimes what happens. This is what Satan does. Uh, when there are, when he does make people blind, what he does is he takes things that are very obvious and clear cut and he kind of grays it out. And so this cat up here, colorblind cat, he's never going to win the Rubik's Cube because he can't identify the colors. He can't see it for what it is. He can't do that. And Satan is an expert as far as graying it all out and making it look all the same. All the grids look the same. You can't tell the colors apart or where the rows have to be or if you're even doing a good job with it. Satan is a master at it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, he is called the God of this age, and it says that he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he's blinded, right? He's really good at it. He's blinded this entire age and made people think things that are not necessarily true. And there isn't a greater illustration than this man who comes, who's blind and mute. He can't see, he can't speak. And then Jesus comes, gives him light, and makes him able. Because what Satan does is he conceals and he closes. What Jesus does is he reveals and he restores. Right? What Satan does is he conceals and he closes. Right? Say conceals. Say closes. Right? What Jesus does is he reveals and restores. That's what he does. It's a big difference. Now, how does Satan do that? Well, it started all the way back even early in the garden. Hey, did God really say this? And really, he only said this just because you might experience life for what it really is. And that's all it took. It took a little bit of doubt. So Satan uses doubt, he uses pleasure, he uses distractions to blind us. And that's easy to see. He's got women all over the place thinking that they should look a certain way based on what they see. Instead of the value that God has just given to them just because of who they are. Completely blinding them and then getting them to believe it. And then even worse, having all the men believe it. Having all the men go after that. It's sad. He has all kinds of men thinking and believing that there's a certain way to live um, totally apart from Christ. Or being a man is dominating, maybe uh, controlling, 
conquering, you know, being a player, whatever it is, it's sad, sad news. He's blinded us. To the part that where he's even done a good job of making it foggy for those of us that maybe even dig into the logos a little bit to think that, well, as long as like you're a pretty good person and you just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on what you do, like that would be okay. Right? He's done a good job of just blinding us. When at the end of the day, a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in really doesn't do much. Because a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in doesn't equate real well to an entire person laying on a cross. It was a lot more than a little bit of a sprinkle. It was all in. All in. And that's what we're called to do. And then when Jesus comes in, He brings in light and shines it on areas where we didn't even maybe notice before. And we say, wow, I had no idea that that wasn't very good for me. I had no idea. Maybe it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but then we find out that maybe it wasn't something that's helpful on our way to being sanctified for God. Maybe I just shouldn't listen to that. Maybe I just shouldn't watch that. Or maybe my time is tied too much into this other area, into this other thing. Or maybe I get too much of my self-worth and personal value in this other thing. He's blinded. And when Jesus comes in in a real way, He shines a light on light in and says, Hey, listen, we got to deal with this stuff. This isn't it right here. we got to deal with this stuff. And then, the choice is up to us. How courageous are we really going to be? And what happens is when people have had a real encounter with Jesus, and the light has been shown, and they've been set free, and they see it for what it is, you cannot shut these people up. You can't shut us up. Because we know what God has done for us. Can anybody relate to that? Yes. We know that, who we really are, when nobody is around, what we really think, what really happens. And then to know how much God loves us. And how He's always going to bat for us. And how grace covers us. Or in many ways, you know, think of it like a parent many times. Where it's just like, man, you know, I just hope I did a good job. I hope I did a good job. And we're never going to be perfect. But it's so nice to know that God at the same time has our back. And showers them with grace at the same time. Knowing. God is doing that. It's great. It's tremendous to know that. I think it's kind of sad to just hope for the best. So Satan, he conceals and he closes. Jesus, he reveals and he restores. That's just his nature. That's what he wants to do. Satan wants to keep us in the dark. Never figure out how to get that Rubik's Cube into the right spot. Never. Keep it all gray. Keep it all gray. And that's not real popular, really, in the society. I mean, it's just not. I remember being in a study hall, and some kids were uh, in a religion class. And uh, I came down, I think I had figured something. So a couple kids were sitting at the table. And um, for those of you that don't know, I teach high school math. And I always got teachers, uh, school, uh, stories from school, because it's just I'm around it all day. And so I'm sitting at the table with these guys, and they have this religion worksheet they're working on. And I'm like, you know, guys, what are you working on? And, like, oh, we're looking at different types of, uh, different types, different ways to live out Christianity. Like, 
oh, okay, that's pretty interesting. And I just happened to see the first one and said, fundamentalist. I said, what's that? And they said, uh, I said, well, that is someone that actually literally believes everything that happens in the Bible. I said, really? I said, is there another way? And, uh, you know, a couple of them smiled, and a couple were like, you know, I totally don't get a comment like that. I said, like, yeah, is there another way to read it? Like, you mean the Red Sea? Maybe it didn't happen, it was just like a story to like get a point across, that sort of figure of the meaning? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, okay. I said, so then, so then how do we know, like, which parts we should really hold literal, and then which parts, like, we don't? How do you know that? Well, I don't know how it all works. I just don't go to heaven, Mr. Murphy. <laughs> I got right. Fair enough. But that's okay. But, right, Satan has done a really good job as far as blinding and just making things foggy and gray at best. And we're called to be pillars, to be light, to be salt. And bring that and say, you know what, actually, this is what the kingdom looks like. Here is what God expects. And if we're blind ourselves, you know what the blind lead and the blind is like. It doesn't work out too good. So that's the first part. Jesus' work. That's what he does. That's the work that he does. He restores and he reveals. And we said it the other way. He reveals and he restores. That's what he does. Now, from Jesus' perspective, let's hear what Jesus has to say about what's going on here. Because he's getting accused. Because they say, is this, could this be the son of David? Which is the greatest question ever. That's great. This is the most important question. Is this guy the real deal? The Messiah? Is he the one? Is he the chosen one? Like the Matrix, you know? Neo, is this the guy that's going to do it? It's interesting that they say son of David. Why don't they just say Messiah? Well, they say son of David because uh, they're actually referring to everything that's written in the Old Testament. The way they refer to the Messiah is son of David or son of man. And so they keep that same title. Say, could he be the son of David? Could he be the Messiah? And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't answer right away. He doesn't answer. But some people answered for him. The Pharisees answered for him. They said, but when the Pharisees heard this, that's the religious leaders, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And so they say, you know what, listen, Jesus doesn't even answer it away. He lets them answer just to kind of see what's going on with them. It's always a good idea when you're talking with people and you feel like they're just coming with wrong motives or they just seem a little bit off. Just let them talk about it. Just ask them a lot of questions. Just let them keep going. Number one is disarming. And number two, you'll learn a lot. Listening is always really good. Really good. Just let them keep talking. Really? How come? Wow. So, like, how did that relate to this part? And what about this? And what about that? You know? Hope you do it with a nice tone, and you're not giving somebody a hard time with the tone. But, it's always helpful to talk. So he lets them talk first. And they say, you know what? It's only by Satan he could do this. So in verse 25, Jesus really has the trump card, which he usually does. Uh, he has these... Uh, powers and capabilities where he can know their thoughts. I'd like to have that. That'd be pretty interesting. I would totally abuse it, though. I don't think I'd be responsible. I wouldn't be responsible. So it says, verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom is divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. 
If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he lets them answer. They say, that's Satan, obviously. This guy's psycho. And so Jesus says, really? He says, you know what? That doesn't make any sense. And we're going to get into kingdom talk in one second. Because he's describing this kingdom stuff that's going on. So we'll talk about that. But a better reason that he comes out and says, hey, listen, some of your own people do this. Some of your own people actually are healing and restoring other people. So who are they doing it from? Is that from Satan? Or is that from God? And now they're stuck. Right? Now they're stuck. Because if they say it's from God, or then Jesus is from God, and then, uh oh, they're in trouble. But then to say it's from Satan, like they've got to own up to that and then figure out like, who's doing a good job and who's not. So he painted them in a corner. And then he says, listen, this is just ridiculous. This kingdom talk, though, is what's very important, is what intrigues me. We think of kingdoms, uh, I guess maybe there could be three kingdoms. You could have God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom, and you could have the wild kingdom, right? And the wild kingdom might look something like, I'm giving them the times that are there, right? So between takes a wild kingdom, the actors and directors are acting out of character, right? So you have the little cat and the right? You could have, you know, three kingdoms. But we're really talking about two. That's what our focus is on. It's on two kingdoms. Because Satan has done a good job of blinding minds and thinking, hey, this is just life. You just do what you do. You die and then that's it. And it's just a series of choices and consequences of those choices. Biblically, that's not what's being said at all. In fact, on the next slide here, it says that right there are two kingdoms. We have Satan's kingdom and we have God's kingdom. Satan's kingdom and we have God's kingdom. Because there's a lot more going on than just a series of choices. A lot more going on. In fact, the Bible is very helpful to explain it and use some good illustration. In Ephesians 6, which pops up here, it shows us the verse will come up. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Notice wrestles underlined, right? That's intentional. But against challenges and powers, rulers, darkness, spiritual hosts, wickedness, heavenly places. There's a real battle going on, for sure. Now, sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we make bad choices and we do stupid things, right? That's like you shot yourself in the butt, in the foot. You know, you've made your bed, now you got to lie in it. Like, that happens sometimes. But, at the same time, this is also going, you can't ignore that dynamic. And that word wrestle is very interesting in the Greek. Uh, it means pele. That's the word. Pele. Not the soccer guy, but pele. And what that means is, it gives a visual picture, an illustration of two guys wrestling. You ever see two guys wrestling in a singlet? It's not the greatest sight. But they're wrestling. They're wrestling, right? They're wrestling, going out, exchanging. You know, positions and trying to get the advantage and maybe trying to get the hips or lock it in the head or get the arms and trying to find some advantage to where then they can get the opponent in a compromising position. Usually a defeated position where usually it's on the floor and somebody has control. And the way this word is being used is that they're wrestling. They're there. And that wrestle entails a picture of them wrestling and fighting and going for position until... 
One opponent has the other on the floor, on the floor, and the other opponent has his hand on the neck. Like, listen, I got victory over this right now. I have it under control. I'm not going to destroy you, but I have this under control right now. And that's this wrestling and this battling with sin that we have going on. It's just constantly like wrestling against me, battling me like lost today, and it was just bad. And God, I'm sorry, I did it again. I sinned. I'm going to come, come back hard tomorrow. I'm going to lean in you, get my strength from you, and come again. And it's just this constant battle going on. And how glorious and wonderful it is to finally, when some sort of sin in our lives, and boy, there's a ton, when some sort of sin, and some kind of sin in our lives, we get on top of the, with our hands over the throat and say, you know what? I got some mastery over this right now. Not because of me, because give me the strength I've been leaning in him. I have some victory in some area in my life. That is huge. Huge. It's life changing. Life changing. And if you haven't had that happen, I hope you start leaning in the Christ for real, in a real way when things get tough. That's why many times you got that phrase of never waste a perfectly good crisis. Because here it comes. What are we going to do with it? Because at the end of the day, you want to be hand on the throat of that sin, like, no don't have mastery over me right now. We've played this game. I've lost this battle before. I've tried a lot of ways. I got what I need right now. Right? So that's the picture of what's going on. Just this wrestling, this fighting. It's two kingdoms. And believe it or not, Satan does have a kingdom. It says in Luke 4, when he was with Jesus, and they were in the desert, and he was tempting Jesus, right? That was that 40 days in the desert. He tempted him in three different ways. One of the ways is that the devil, Satan, led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor that has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. This is his domain, kind of his playground. At the end of the day, God calls the shots. He holds, like we said, the trump card. He's got the strings. But for whatever reason, this is Satan's kingdom. This is what he's doing, his work right now. And here we are, spread out. God looking to work through us. Angels also behind us. And we just have this battle going on. And Satan's kingdom, what he wants is what he did to this man. He wants to shut him up and close him out. Shut him up and close him out. That's what he wants to do. And any attempt to get at the real truth, he will come at it kicking and screaming. He will just make our lives miserable. Just do anything to get us off of that light. And whatever revealing might happen, man, I will make them busy. I will flood their inbox with 300 emails. I will make them on Facebook all day long. I will give them so many meals to do. Like, whatever it takes, I will make their kids just go crazy. I'll wedge something in between that marriage. Get them going. I'll make some sort of financial decision to seem a bust. I will do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's the scheme. That's his kingdom. Because he wants dominion, destruction, devastation. All these on purpose. So at least remember one of them. Dominion, destruction, devastation. That's his MO. That's the kingdom. That's what we are wrestling with. That's what he wants. He did that to that man. It's a picture of what he wants to do to all of us. 
And God's kingdom starkly contrasts that with salvation, restoration, and love. Totally different. Salvation, restoration, and these two kingdoms are constantly battling. And what we're called to do, part of our calling to do here is, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And part of what we're called to do is try and bring God's kingdom here. How do we do that? We're all messed up. Well, maybe I'm just messed up. No. We're all messed up, right? We're all messed up. We all fall short. We don't really have what it takes. There's a thing going on that's way bigger than us. But it's amazing that we can play a part and help bring heaven on earth by number one, prayer. Huge. That opens the floodgates. That gets the thing started. That gets the ball rolling. It has a huge and powerful effect. And if you ever read through this graphic and you check out some of the logos, the message going on here, and what the power of prayer does, it literally opens the doors for God to work. Now, it's not always that much fun. It's not always that easy. And we can find a million other things to do. And sometimes it can be just downright discouraging. But we certainly can't let our feelings of what's going on with our prayer lives dictate how often we'll do it. That's true, huh? Did we hear that one? So we can't let, right, how we're feeling about our prayer life dictate how often we're going to do it. Can't do it. Gotta have more courage than that. So he does it by prayer. That's where we can bring his kingdom on earth, certainly by prayer. So I'm looking forward to see what the prayers coming behind these gifts for these little guys, what might happen. Or the prayers that went out for the harvest party, you know, that just happened. Or the prayers for our family members that we just maybe won't find out because the wrestling is going on for a few years, then maybe a few years from now, we'll see what comes out on the other side. You throw some prayer in the mix, you throw some fasting into the mix, maybe some obedience here and there. You say, oh God, work with me. We're going to bring heaven on earth. We're not going to bring hell on earth. We're going to bring heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Because thy kingdom happens out of thy will. So we want God's kingdom. We better start getting in line with whatever his will is. We don't have much time. But a vapor, but a mist. Really don't know. So we see how Jesus works, how he reveals and restores. We see his viewpoint of these two kingdoms, and he sees it clear as day. And we should always just be asking, God, just give me a picture of what's really going on here. Help me to get past myself. And then the third observation we look at is our choice. This is interesting. Jesus is a guy who draws a line in the sand, and this is why a lot of people don't like him. And this is why a lot of people say he is close-minded. He is not open. He is not whatever. Fill in the blank. Also forgetting that he's the one that hung on the cross and went through everything. So, how fair is that? Now, in verse 30, he says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He says, hey, listen. Either you're on this team and you're with me 
or you're not. It's pretty much that clear. And verse 31, it says, So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, or against the Spirit, will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Anyone who who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be, either in this age or the age to come. And basically what that simply means, right, the sin that cannot be forgiven, essentially what that means is rejection of the Holy Spirit. Right, Jesus is gone. He's not here anymore. He's in heaven, right next to God, the Lamb of God. And you see through the book how they show pictures. He's referred to as the Lamb. You know, with this robe, that's blood-stained. That's where he's at right now. So the God that's here among us, where they're all one God, that's what's confusing sometimes, but all one, Holy Spirit is here doing the work. The Holy Spirit is the one here doing the work. And if we reject him, if we come to those places where we feel like God might be nudging us, or pulling us somewhere, or wanting a response from us, if we start to reject that first time, you know, he'll probably provide another one and provide another one. After a while, we're just going to kind of desensitize ourselves and just be like, you know what, it's the only thing to do with it. And when it comes down to that rejection of the Holy Spirit to just where, I don't want anything to do with it, I don't want any God, I don't want anything like that, that's the one that's not forgiven. Because that's the one we got to own up for. Because the one thing we have control over is our choices. That's why it's so scary to see us as a you know, the nation as a country just really want to get rid of God, everything altogether. How good is that really going to be for us? But yet, at the same time, the other part of me is like, well, we need a wake-up call pretty bad. So I don't know, maybe bring it on. I don't know. We need one as a nation real bad. Revival would be great. And as we close up here, Jesus makes reference to a good tree, uh, a tree being good and its fruit being good. And he talks about how the overflow of the heart is where the mouth speaks. And um, we can tell really quickly what our heart is full of. And there's really one phrase that helps us with that. Um, I didn't mean to say that. If we find ourselves like saying that a lot, I didn't really mean to say that. I didn't mean to say that. That means whatever's coming up like that first time isn't really that great. And like, we have to maybe work on that a little bit. Right? I didn't really mean to. It should maybe once in a while. That's fine. But like, if that's like a regular pattern, or you know, if, you know, if something happens, and first words out of your mouth are not the best ones, you know, like, we want to adjust that and evaluate that. Say, God, I don't want that to be my first word out of my mouth. Like, maybe something else could come up. That would be better. Now, right at the end, He says, listen, he says, verse 36, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That is a huge statement right there. And what I want us to think about is that our words carry an eternal weight. Our words carry an eternal weight. They're going to matter. Our actions hopefully match up what our words are saying, especially if we claim to be a Christian. Better match up. Because I can just say, oh yeah, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. I really like t-shirt thing that I was like, going on. Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt thing. Like, what? What are you saying? 
You're like, he's your God, he's your Savior. Like, it's not homeboy time. Like, no. But our words carry eternal weight. And it says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Boom. That's it. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe it in your heart, you will be saved. That's what it says. That's how we get into heaven. And then after that, we got a whole life to live. And that life should reflect what we said there. So it's pretty amazing how Jesus comes in contact, heals this guy, and then uses it as a total teaching moment to give the people their perspective on like the world and how it's going and what's happening. And then closing up by saying, hey, listen, you with me or are you against me? What are we doing? Where are we going? Really good at recognizing teachable moments and not letting them pass by. And hopefully we should ask God and say, God, give me the discernment, the insight to where maybe you're working and now like I should be a little bit more vocal about my faith. Or maybe I should take my faith in this direction or talk about it in this direction. This should, requests like that should fill our prayer lives. So we ask God, we're going to be sensitive to the Spirit once he, what, what He is doing. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand um, and sing one last song to close. And then we'll come back together and close in prayer.
God, we ask, Lord, that you could uh, help us to see uh, this life as you see it, Lord. Um, many times, in order to see life as it is, as these two kingdoms, as this wrestling match going on, God, um, we need to just abide in you, Lord, and just take time to be quiet with you, Lord. Let you refresh us. Let you open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see what's going on. And God, some of us uh, need to just repent, Lord, and just confess that, listen, we're just not making time for you to see life as we should see it. And so, God, I pray that we'd have enough courage, you know, to do that and then move forward the best that we can. And God, we also ask that you would use us to bring your kingdom here on this earth, Lord. We ask that you'd use this church, this small church, Lord, to bring your kingdom here in this town. God, that people would be able to say, yes, God is alive and active at that church because... And we could point to reasons and point to stories. And so, God, the only way any of this happens, Lord, if we stay close to you, Father, submit our lives to you, Lord, and we just give you all that we have. And so, Lord, I just pray, God, that you'd help us not to just give you the leftovers, but to give you the best of what we got. It will bless our families. It will make us better women. It will make us better men. Make us better husbands, better wives. So God, we thank you for the time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So yes, be thinking about the Operation Head Start too this week.